Welcome along to another edition of In Focus. I'm Marcus Stead, and in this episode, I'm joined by Jeremy Jacobs, a familiar voice to radio listeners in southern England in particular. He's worked as a football reporter for Capital Gold Sports Time, remember that, BBC London and BBC Kent, as well as having read sports bulletins on a range of commercial radio stations. Jeremy is also a widely respected conference and events host. Sales is another of his passions, and we'll be talking about his current work in that industry a little bit later on. This really is a wide-ranging discussion. We begin by looking at the impact of the coronavirus, uh, particularly within the M25, where Jeremy lives and works, see what impact it's having on the NHS and on the economy. We look at the effect it's having on small and medium-sized businesses. We ask whether enough is being done by the government to help business owners, and particularly the self-employed. A little bit later on, the discussion turns to the Football Association and their decision to suspend football and invalidate the league at the lower end of the uh, semi-professional pyramid. Jeremy is a passionate Margate fan and he's far from happy with the way the FA has handled the situation and they are sentiments I share. And then towards the end of the podcast, the conversation turns to the way in which the pandemic has forced individuals and businesses to explore new ways of working with so many of us now having to work from home. And we assess whether this will have a long-term impact in the way we work. Will offices need so much office space in the future when they realise that a lot of work can be done from home? And with things like Skype and Zoom and everything like that, do we really need big offices anymore? And then finally, we look at the ever-changing world of sales and we discuss how Jeremy is adapting to a rapidly evolving environment. This really is a fascinating discussion. Do please stay with us. Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by former football commentator, broadcaster extraordinaire, former conference host, still does a little bit of that, and sales specialist, we'll talk about that in a moment, Jeremy Jacobs. Jeremy, how are you keeping under the circumstances? I'm pretty good, actually, Marcus. Although I'm inside the the M25, I live in a London postal district, so I'm looking out onto some stables and some trees, Mm. And, uh, you know, when the sun's out, it's lovely here. So I'm very lucky to be in that part of London where there's a lot of greenery. So it, it's, it's pretty nice being here. And it's nice to be woken up. Uh, even when the traffic is here under normal circumstances, you do, you do get a lot of birdsong first thing in the morning. So it's so quite you, good. You, you've got the best of both worlds then. You've got a lots of greenery, lots of nature around you, but you're also not too far from... The, the metropolis of London and the yes. business when you want to be a part of that world as well. Abs- so you, abs- you, absolutely you, spot on, yeah. yeah. You, you're in a great location. So we're into week number, what, two and a half, I think, now of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. life is very different for all of us at the moment. How have you been coping the last few weeks? Well, as I say to some of my, my clients professionally, what you have to do is to, well, look, <clears throat> you, just have, you, know, you, you just have to be a bit resolute and say, right, okay, treat each day uh, like a normal working day, Monday to Friday. Uh, I think the most important thing, Marcus, is to have a schedule mm. and just pretend you're doing work. Now, it's very hard working at home, mm. but if you just sit, if, you just, if you're disciplined, so right, for, for an hour and a half, I'm going to read, hour and a half, I'm going to research, and then in the afternoon, I've got two or three hours telephone, telephone calls. Nowadays, with Zoom or Skype, you can set up meetings, and it's probably much easier to set up meetings because people's diaries are probably quite empty at the moment. So mm. from a professional point of view, it's really important that you... Um, I think as any, anybody in business, just give up, give up yourself, give up your time and say, look, you know, and, and keep in touch with people and say, look, this isn't going to last forever. But in the meantime, is there anything else I can do to help? Mm. 
um, how are you feeling? Is there anything else I can do for you? And, and, just, and just try and help out people as if you were a, a neighbour. And I think if you do that as a, as a consultant or a supplier or a, or a manufacturer or anything, anybody really in business, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll serve you well, uh, you know, going forward, you know. I think we've got to count our blessings and look at the positives, mm. try and see the positives mm. in this very difficult mm. situation. And I think yeah. one of the great ways in which yeah. we are fortunate at the moment is that if this, yeah. if this situation had struck 10, certainly 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had the Skypes or the Zooms and keeping in contact and communicating, not just with our business partners, but with vulnerable members of our family and vulnerable members of society would yeah. have been far harder. Now, one of the great things that's happened is I've been nagging my own mother, who's 66, for many years, saying you must learn how to use a computer properly. You must learn how to use Zoom and Skype because one day, you know, you, you might be more frail and you can't get out so easily. And to her credit, she has learned how to use Skype extensively in the last couple of weeks i talked her through it on the phone and eventually we got there she's now absolutely loving it she's yeah. keeping in touch with me she's keeping in touch with close friends of hers in kent who she goes on holiday with twice a year and yeah. it, it's i think we've got to count our blessings in that sense and i i think when we come out of this one thing we should say to people who are maybe 60 70 even 80 years of age for crying out loud do your best to familiarize yourself with technology yeah. because if yeah. there is, are issues with mobility or you can't get out and about, this will keep you in touch with the world. It will keep you in touch with your loved ones. It'll boost your morale and it'll make you more independent. Yes, definitely. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's just horrendous. I mean, the people I've, I mean, I, as I mentioned to you before, off air, uh, I have an elderly mother. She has carers, which in itself is, is, a, is a worry, but mm. they're, they're professional. Um, they're not cheap. <laughs> But, you know, they, they, they look after her and, you know, they, they, if she didn't have that connection, then mm. she'll be in real trouble. And thank God they can, they can, they're, they're mobile, these people, and they can, they can see mm. her on, on a daily basis. So thank God we've got that. But there again, yes, how did people cope in this country during the time of the Spanish flu? Mm. Well, that, that killed more people than they killed in the trenches yeah. in the First World War. That's, That's right. Uh, it's so in a, in a historical context, we have been here before, just not in living oh. memory for any of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking at it from a London context, I mean, I, I can look out of my window right now and I can see Cardiff Bay and I've got the link oh. bridge looking out of my window, linking the two sides of Cardiff Bay. And it's, it's a dual carriageway, yeah. very busy road at most of the time. I'm looking out there now. I can just see one van passing, passing as I say. Uh -huh. It is deadly quiet out there. I would say traffic is, even at rush hour, morning and evening rush hour, is 80 or 90% down on where it would normally be on a day like this. We'll have, um, to, call it, we'll have to call it something else, Marcus. I yeah. It's a rush hour, you know. Yeah, it is any, anything but a rush at the moment. But from a London... More and more a mosey, but go on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, from, from a London point of view, then, we're seeing images on the news of people are traveling that this even as recently as last week i haven't seen it so much this week people packed like sardines onto tube trains like it would be under any other circumstance and i think there's a problem here now you've outlined correctly what an essential worker is your mother needs to be cared for we need doctors and nurses in hospitals we need cleaners in hospitals uh, there are certain things that simply can't wait people working in various emergency services but i think we've got a problem here and i'm going to say something controversial now I think there is a certain type of Londoner who, because they work in the city, so to speak, in finance or whatever, is considering themselves an essential worker when really they're not. And they are taking unnecessary risks by traveling on packed tube trains, morning and evening rush hour, spreading the virus, potentially, 
and they're taking unnecessary risk. And I think what we need to do is prick their egos a little bit and think, hang on now, this is the 21st century. Can you do your job from home? And if you can't do your job from home, which you probably can do your job from home, but if you can't, do you really need to do it at this moment in time? I think that's an excellent question. Uh, I think you have a point. And I think it's not so much the employees going in and thinking they're key workers. It's their employers. Hmm. And a lot of employers have come under a lot of um, uh, criticism in recent times for not either not organising homeworking hmm. or not organising properly and, and, and asking people to come in. Hmm. And I think that's completely wrong. I, I, I fear that uh, there'll be a further crackdown by the government and they'll say, right, everything will be stopped. Hmm. Everything. And they'll stop all uh, car journeys, and they'll stop all trains. I understand National Express will stop their coach journeys now. They have. I mean, yes. this, I mean this, this, this is horrendous, really, in many respects. But mm. uh, if you don't need to travel, then why lay on the transport? Now, you know, the Mayor of London, who I'm not a great supporter of, is, is really, you know, caught between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? You know, on, on, you've got to have key workers coming in. Mm. Um, but I think they've reduced they've reduced the, 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 the tube service to such an extent that you get these scenes of, of, of people packing on the trains. There was a, there was a, a picture of some video from I think East Acton or, or one of the Acton tubes tube lines. I mean, it's, it's horrendous, and you mm. can't. It's, it's completely wrong to do that. Mm. Mm. What equally is wrong is to have the situation where you have planes coming into this country from the United States and elsewhere still. And people are coming off those planes and they're not being checked. Uh, whereas in other countries, they've got to go for uh, 14 days um, quarantine. This is very why, important. Why, why aren't we doing that? I don't understand it. I you make a very it. important point there because, okay, we're told to take very, very sensible precautions. As you say, don't travel unless you absolutely have to. And meanwhile, at Heathrow, at Gatwick, and in the smaller airports as well, you've got planes arriving from China, from Italy. And there are no checks being made on these people. And I think that is utterly absurd. We're hearing today, mind you, that uh, as of next week, we're down to just the one runway at Heathrow, which mm -hmm. does suggest that they're expecting us to be in this situation for some considerable time. But I've got family in northern Italy, and we know from, from what we see on the news that Italy and Spain, in terms of in the European context, have been the countries most heavily impacted so far. That the figures from mm -hmm. Italy are absolutely horrendous at the moment. And by the way, for the conspiracy theorists out there that are saying it's just another <laughs> strain of flu, please go and ask any doctor or nurse in an Italian hospital and ask them if this is a normal early April oh. day. It is yeah. not. It is horrendous. They are having to make decisions in regards to ventilators. There are only so many ventilators and so many doctors and so many nurses to treat people. They are having to make life or death decisions. If an 80-year-old is come in and there's a 20 or a 30-year-old who needs treatment, they are having to make some pretty damn brutal choices. You, if you're a conspiracy theorist and you're reading all the wacko stuff we're seeing on social media, just ask a doctor or a nurse in northern Italy, is this a normal April day? And I can tell you it absolutely yeah. is not. And we're even seeing in this country now, okay, I've got a routine ear, nose and throat matter where I have a six monthly hospital appointment. My appointment's not till due until June and it's an outpatient thing. It's quite an easy thing to treat, but it's important I'm seen. I was had a letter the other day. My outpatient appointment in June has been canceled. And all they said at the bottom was, we will reschedule. We will let you know when something becomes available. They didn't even tell me when it's going to be. Now I can live with that. But there are people now, a lot of very worried people, people with cancer, people who've had cancer operations cancelled. 
the knock-on effects of this, both inside and outside London, are absolutely enormous yeah. in that sense. Yeah, and so, so why create a, a more of a problem with this Heathrow business and the tube problem? Mm -hmm. I, I fear we will have an Italy situation. All right, the, the demographics are different, as you know yourself. Uh, the family structures are different in Italy. Um, uh, there's more contact across the generations, isn't there? And there's, mm -hmm. and you, and, you, and uh, they're, they're they're more into sort of hugging and kissing, whereas the restrained British don't do that. Whether that's uh, just a patronising term or whether there are other other reasons, one doesn't know. Why is it the Germans aren't, uh, don't have a death rate as, as good as ours? Mm. Perhaps just to do with the, the, their fitness and their, their love of the outdoor life. The Germans, I don't know. Mm. Um, hopefully, um, we will end up. My biggest concern, Mark, is it, 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 we're not going to go along for two or three months or four months and then we'll wake up in the Monday morning. Okay, guys, it's all over. There's going to be a series of stop and start. And, mm. and this could go on for a year or two. And that's what concerns me. And the concern there is, well, who is going to be allowed out? Well, what's an interesting debate? This is an interesting debate mm. point because uh, yeah. Singapore, I don't know how well you know Singapore. But yes, well, not having been for some years, but it's a good place. Yeah, it certainly is a very advanced country, very well-educated population. You've got a diverse mix of races and faiths living there. Um, but it, by definition, it's a small island state. And they went into a state of lockdown, uh, I think it was in late January. And they tried coming out of it some weeks ago, well, a week before last. Last Saturday, they had a second wave of cases because as they gradually started to lift the restrictions and they tried to get life some form of normality, People mm -hmm. went out and about, and I think there were 80-odd cases last Saturday alone. That was a second wave. Now, bearing in mind Singapore's climate is a humid climate and a hot climate, and they say the virus cannot survive, uh, outside, it, it cannot survive as well in warmer climes. The fact that they had 80 more cases on a single day when they just eased off a little bit suggests we could be in it for some time. And there, there was something, uh, BBC News, and, and I, I know you're not a big fan of uh, some of the reporting on the BBC either, to put it mildly, but there was something terrible on last night's news where they were saying about the, uh, the antibody test, which is one of two tests that's being proposed yes. at the moment. Now, the things I don't understand about this are, mm. okay, you have, you, you're a nurse or a doctor, you have the antibody test, and it says, okay, you had the virus uh, a, a month, two months ago. The BBC News report last night was working on the assumption that if you've had it, you cannot have it again. And the scientific evidence simply does not back that up. We do not know whether it buys you one month, three months, six months, 12 months, or a lifetime's immunity, or possibly at the other end of the spectrum, no immunity at all. We don't know the answer. So with that in mind, what is the value of this test? And also, even if those assumptions are correct, and, and they may well not be correct, that, that it buys you a period of immunity, you, you think, okay, hunky-dory, off I go to work. I'm on the bus. I'm on the train. I've touched the surface. It's on my clothing. Okay, we don't know how long it can survive outside the body. But, you know, even you could touch some like a hospital railing or something when, when, when you're there and pass it on to somebody. Yeah. It's too, too many assumptions are being made about the value of these tests. And I think particularly in a densely populated area like London, we talk about what goes on on the densely packed tube trains. We cannot make assumptions about this. Yeah, I agree. And uh, as I said, this could, this could roll on for a year or two quite easily. Mm. And mm. the worry is, I don't want to be too dramatic, we could lose lots of people who are our nearest and dearest. And uh, you've got to, I think, back of my mind you just got to you just got to be aware for that and i'm not i'm not talking about my elderly mother but necessarily i'm talking about 
people of of your age or, or my age you know you can, you can it's 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 horrendous yeah and i think there are too many people taking it lightly and this is why i think there's going to be a further crackdown well well the, the thing is we're seeing and i don't know whether you listened to the uh, the coronavirus podcast i recorded with greg lance watkins over the weekend but i told a story then and i'll repeat it now for those who haven't heard it and, and for your benefit on the 2nd of January this year, uh, James Easton, who works with us at uh, Talk Podcasts, he came to visit me in Cardiff. It was a flying visit, very last minute. And uh, he wanted to go and see the, uh, the, the Swansea City versus Charlton match at the Liberty Stadium because he's a huge Charlton Athletic fan and Worthing is his big non-league passion. We'll come on to non, the impact of non-league football a bit later on, perhaps. But he said to me, oh, can I stay at your flat? I said, yes, certainly. And he said, do you want a ticket to the match? And I said, yeah, okay. And we got on the train, had a few beers, went to Swansea, takes about an hour, arrived at the Liberty Stadium. And um, we were at the, uh, the away end of the ground and uh, we, we had a pint in the bar at the away end before, uh, before it started. And he pointed out someone to me, he said, you see that young man over there? And the young man looked about my age. I said, yeah. And he said, he hasn't missed a single Charlton Athletic game for 22 wow. years. And, and I, said, uh, I said, wow, that's some record. That young man, uh, his name was Seb Lewis, and on Wednesday of last week, he died of coronavirus at the age of just 38. He was two years older than I am. Mm. And the message, uh, okay, Seb was a character. He was, he was a very eccentric man. He was on the autistic spectrum, we believe, but he was passionate through and through about Charlton Athletic. That was his big passion in life. Mm. And, you know, he, he could really have looked forward to another 40, maybe even 50 years of life, uh, maybe beyond that, who knows? But he was taken from us at 38. And what I'm saying to people is, is that, okay, predominantly, statistically, it's much more dangerous for the elderly, but for crying out loud, it's not just the elderly who are being affected by this. Yeah. I mean, yes, there, there may have been some underlying thing. He may have a very, very yeah, weak immunity system, but that's not the point. You know, it's, it's, it's tragic. You know, I did see that story, actually, yes. Mm. I think it was on Facebook. And, uh, I mean, yes, there are people that, you know, my sort of non-league passion of, you know, anything. It could strike any one of those guys who I know, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, we just got to pray that this thing might just go away. Mm. Uh, as, you know, as, as the year roll as the year rolls on, I mean, second and third and fourth waves frightens the life out of me. Well, it's, 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 this, it's, the, it's the same here, but unfortunately, the evidence from Singapore suggests that there is a second wave. I don't think we can believe the statistics that come out of China, so I'm not even going to go down that road at the moment. Yeah. But in terms of poor old Seb Lewis, or poor young Seb Lewis, more to the point, mm. the big thing there, he did have asthma. But again, you know, yeah. you think asthma is one of those things that can be managed, and for the most part, it can. Not, yeah, yeah. Combine yeah. it with the coronavirus, and it's got something. Yeah. Other. And it makes me wonder, you know, people with weakened immune systems for one reason or another. It is a very, very concerning time, and we cannot take any chances with this. We have got to listen to the official advice. Um, but of course, in a London context, and we see, don't we, the impact this is having on small and medium-sized businesses as well. I knew that when we, we shut down all across the United Kingdom two Fridays ago, the pubs, the bars, the restaurants, the cafes, the little, little cafes yeah. of one sort or another, I knew straight away a lot of those businesses will not reopen because mm. it's like, I'll give one example. I, I know of a, a snooker club owner in the, uh, I'll tell you who it is, he won't mind me saying, it's Darren Morgan, the former world number eight snooker player. And he's got a snooker club in uh, Cross Keys in the Welsh Valleys. And a lot of very good young players who've gone on to better things started their, their journey, if you like, there. Now, Darren's parents opened that club in 1983. 
Both of his parents died within a few months of each other in the late 1990s. Darren has run that club ever since. And um, in recent years, more than recent years, he's had his property business as a source of income. He's also got Darren Morgan Sports, which makes trophies and is a local school uniform supplier to schools in the local area. And Darren has sort of run the snooker club just about breaking even or maybe at a bit of a loss subsidizing it because he really wants to remain involved in snooker. Now, we have, you'll know this because it's the same all over the United Kingdom, the sheer number of snooker clubs that have closed in the last 15 years um, due to various pressures that have been put on them, whether it's the smoking bang, changing social habits, business rates, you name it. Darren put up a notice on the Friday night um, when, when the Prime Minister ordered all these venues to close, saying if this goes on for a, more than a month, I'm afraid this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back we will not be reopening. Now, that's just one simple example of a community facility that will be lost, and an important one, because it kept kids off the street. Um, there was coaching available. They could learn to play the game well, and some of them have gone on to good things in the game. Um, some very good young players, as I say. You think now the number of little cafes, restaurants, people who've worked their backsides off creating small businesses in the last few years they could potentially lose everything in the months ahead. And I, I know that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, announced this £300 billion package to, uh, to, to stimulate the economy. By the way, all of that will have to be paid back sooner or later. But also, the other stuff he announced, like you know, 80% of people who've been temporarily laid off, 80% of their wages, rather, will be paid. And then the help, help for the self-employed. This is an interesting point, and I, I'd like you to address it, please. He announced this, this package of help for the self-employed. I, I think there are a number of problems here. The, the biggest one of all, we'll talk more details in a minute. The biggest one of all, no money coming in until June? Yeah. It's, it's hideous, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, uh, <clears throat> I think they're going to have to do something else. Um, but no, governments are notoriously bad at, spending money mm-hmm. uh and and, and the, whether it's through distribution or something it, they're just not very good at doing it. unless you have a an authoritarian system like north korea or china or mm-hmm. one or two other places like i could no doubt mention um you know mm-hmm. in liberal democracies it's, the governments are not very good at being authoritarian it's just not it's not, it's not why they're they're there you know well, we, I mean, we see, don't we? Every project it everywhere. In, in London, you've got HS2 and projects like that. They always oh, come in God, late yeah. and massively over budget. Every that's time. Right, yeah. yes, so that, that's, that's another, another story. But yeah. Um, and I think uh, I was reading, I forget, one of the Sky business journalists wrote something. I forget his name now. And he says, this may need, we may need another Bretton Woods. Mm. As I in 1944, it may be this has, 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 has weakened international um, institutions so much that mm. there may have, not a new world. He said, didn't say, didn't say a new world order. He said, but it may be that we need to spruce up the United Nations or make mm. a difference to the, the World Trade Organization or the World Health Organization or something. Mm. I've been a bit disappointed with the World Health Organization. I think they should, you know, they've been a bit of a toothless tiger, really. I think he says in his in his article, and um, you know. Who should be, um, you know, the, the you know the, the the disease stopper of last resort, and mm. not nation states, mm. and they're not, uh, and they haven't done that role. You know, they, they left it up to individual states to do things, and uh, I think we've been we've been found wanting in this country. But there's no point blaming the prime minister or the conservative government. You just mm. got to go. You know, we are where we are, and we've got to do our best. Yeah, and, I, I, uh, even now, despite the the errors that have been made, and by the way. Mm. 
I do question the value of these um, 5 p.m. daily briefings now because I, I think they're running out of steam, to be honest. And I think there's just far too much speculation. And also the lobby journalists who are asking questions, there's this silly game of one-upmanship where they're either asking questions that have already been answered or just yeah. trying to make themselves look tough for images on the evening news when they ask their questions. Mm. There's yeah. a lot of very silly questions being asked of that. So I question the value yeah. of that, certainly. Yeah. But going back to this point about the self-employed, I think it would have been better all round if Rishi Sunak had said, look, there's no easy way of helping the self-employed because it's such a complex system and a very complex economy we live in in that sense. Mm. The best thing he could have done as a short-term measure is say, right, there's going to be a flat rate for anyone who's self-employed, just enough for you to buy your food and pay your utility bills. Won't be much left over beyond that. Uh, but in terms of what he said is, oh, we're going to look at your three years worth of your HMRC records and work out an aggregate amount. Um, big problem there is, point one, if you started, became self-employed three years ago and spent the first year or so building yourself up and living off your savings or yeah. getting yourself into debt. Uh, or first two years or first three years. Indeed, yeah. you've got it. You can have quite long periods where, mm -hmm. where it, it takes a good number of years to get your business going. And therefore, that's not an accurate reflection of how much you might now be making or how much you really need to get yourself mm -hmm. by just to get yourself mm -hmm. surviving. And the other is, and a, a good friend of mine, someone I've known for many, many years, is in exactly this position. He only became self-employed a matter of months ago. He didn't have a huge amount of choice in the matter, really. He became self-employed. He has not yet had to submit anything at all to HMRC. Yeah. And therefore, he has fallen through the gaps completely on this. And look, even, okay, look, I'll be honest, it's not the end of the world if I don't have any income for the next month. But to ask people to wait until June before they get anything at all, yeah. I think, is pretty outrageous. I think my system, what I suggested, is a very, very basic flat rate. It won't be a fortune. A lot of people will be saying, oh, I make a lot more than that. Well, good for you, but tough luck for the time being. Just give yeah. a very basic rate so that people don't starve and they've got enough to cover their utility bills and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and point one, that could be administered much more quickly. And uh, point two, you wouldn't need an army of staff at the HMRC offices to administer it either, uh, yeah. many of whom will not be in work at the moment because they're self-isolating or can't get to work. And point three, people would not have to wait until June. Now, there are many, many millions of people who cannot wait until June. Yes, I agree. I totally agree with it. It's, it's, a, it's a real worry. And it's, um, of course, there's one or two people, uh, commentators on Twitter, where else? I've said, uh, I've asked about, you know, the, the, you know how, how, is, is it now not about time for a basic monthly income for everybody? Mm. Now, I think they tried that in Finland and they stopped it. And uh, I, I can see the benefits of it. I just feel, though, it, it sends out the wrong message. But it may be that we're, we're now living in times where, you know, people do need this. Um, mm. I, think, I think it's a disincentive to work and I think it's not right. Yeah, I agree um, with you, but, but, that's, but that's normal you know, circumstances. Under normal yeah, circumstances, yeah. you would be spot on. These mm. are not normal yeah. circumstances. I am more than willing to work. Believe me, I'd rather work than not work. Um, but if, you know, I, I cover various sporting events, as, as people know, I work for this, that, and the other. I, I've got a number of different employers. If those events I cover are not taking place, and beyond yeah. that, I've also got property interest as well. My tenants are not in a position to pay. For what which, which, which brings me on to another subject as well, mm. Marcus. You know, mm. I mean, exactly. You know, I mean, uh, what do you do if you've got decent tenants mm. and, and, they want, and they're on a two-year AST and mm. it finishes in three months' time and mm. they want to, well, they may not be able to move. How do you get the AST to be extended? 
um, ha, you know, and all well, the, le the legally questions. they would be on a rolling contract under those circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the basic point here is, I, I won't name names, but one of my tenants, he uh, he's mm. a chef, and obviously he his restaurant has had to close where he, he's employed. He's a junior chef, and um, the situation there is the the government will pay what eighty percent of his wage, whatever it is. But mm. even administering that, it hasn't happened yet. He hasn't received that money yet, as far as I'm aware. No. And I, I'm going to actually, I'm going to have to email him later today about this. Actually, but he can also claim housing benefit if he hasn't got much in savings. Mm. Uh, but again, how many weeks is that going to take to come through? Uh, so I'm, I'm trying yeah. very hard to work with my tenants yeah. as fair yeah. as possible. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. When no. the government is taking so long just to, to get people, and yeah. oh, by the way, it yeah. goes beyond that. I, I don't know. Okay, you may receive half a month's rent, sorry, half a month's wages before the restaurant mm. closed down, but you know, mm. he's got young children to feed as well. So, all these things you've got to take into account. And I was watching uh, on one of the news channels, RT UK, I was watching mm. yesterday, and they, ah. had, uh, mm. they had this woman on there talking down Skype, uh, and she was, um, a, a, I think, a hotel stroke restaurant owner in Liverpool near Anfield football stadium. And she said a very, very big part of her income is dependent on Premier League football. And mm -hmm. she said that with no football, she's had to lay off her staff or, or, yeah. or, or temporarily suspend it, so to speak. But she said in terms, she needs this financial assistance now from the government because she's in year two, year three of her business. Mm -hmm. She can't wait three, four months. She said that is not going to happen. And she said she's also a single mother of three, three, four children, I think mm -hmm. she's got. She's having sleepless nights at the moment. And, you know, she's played by the rules. She set up a business. She ran it yeah. properly. She has done everything you would expect her to do. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, and, yeah, and, and the, yeah. the government is, in, we've had the Cameron Osborne years into the mm -hmm. Theresa May years, now into the Boris Johnson era. We have been encouraged uh, after the 2008 crash, do set up a small business, do be entrepreneurial, small, mm -hmm. medium-sized businesses. People did. People took that punt like her and, and many, many others. We need a little yeah. bit of help from you now, the government. That's yeah. what I'm saying. We need the mm. help right now. I'm afraid we can't wait two or three months, a lot of us, you know? Mm. No, I, I, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's frightening. On the other end of the scale, you then go look at, all right, I'm a, I'm a bit older than you, um, <laughs> nearly a mother's age, but I'm looking at my so-called pension investments, and you think, I was talking to my IFA the other day, and he has, across all of his clients, about, I don't know, Beginning of the year, he had like about 100 and 110 million, right? Yeah. Uh, that's now worth 77 million across all investment. And you think, all right, it will recover. And what the stock market does isn't necessarily what's going to happen to investments in the long term. But if this keeps on happening and there's no resolution mm. within a year, then um, it's a problem. It could, it could end up being a heck of a problem. I, I think yeah. anyone who's planning on retiring in the next 10 years and is reliant on a private pension has got significant problems. But also on top of that, if you go down a route I've gone down with property, again, property... You've also got problems. Property. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I was discussing this with, with somebody recently mm. and um, we were talking about, you were saying, oh, I'm going I'm to lose my income through, through his job. Uh, and, and he's right. Mm. He, is, he has got problems. And he said, oh, it's all right for you. You've got property and so forth. I said, look, this is like a row of dominoes. It might hit him sooner than it hits me, but it'll yeah. hit me sooner or later. And it'll yeah. hit everyone sooner or later. It doesn't matter yeah. which sector you work in, sooner or later yeah. you're going to get. I, mean, you know, yeah, I, 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 I admittedly, I'm not going to be in the first line of this. I can get by for the next month or two if I have to. It won't be yeah. very pleasant, yeah. but sooner or later it will get me. And I will need. Uh, what happens though, Marcus, if I can cut across? What happens if your chef 
Jim said, turn around to you next week and say, right, I'm not paying you. You can go and, you know, and you can't sue me. Mm. Well, you probably can in the end. Of the, you know, I mean, what, what could you do? You probably won't if you've got three kids. Mm. But I mean, you know, there are some dodgy tenants out there who will take advantage. And vice versa with, vice versa with, um, with landlords as well. You know. uh, of course. Well, all, all evictions have now been paused. So landlords who have, I mean, I've been through this process in the past as well, though, yeah. admittedly not for the last eight years of having to take somebody to court to evict them. Yeah. And I can tell you that before you even begin that process, they've got to be in two months of arrears. By the yeah. time you've actually taken them to court and waited your turn on the court list, gone through that process and then gone through all the different yeah. stages before you get to bailiffs, you could be looking at six months without rent. And, and in fact, yeah. I, did, I did have six months without rent from beginning to end of that. <clears throat> and yeah. that, I yeah. didn't waste a single day. Once they were in two months of arrears, I began the legal process. By the time it was all over, it was six months. Now, there will be landlords going through that process up and down the United Kingdom right now who are, who are on the verge of getting control of their property. Hey, presto, what's happened? All evictions and eviction processes have been stopped. So that landlord who still has to pay his insurance, who still has to pay his mortgage interest, is now being hit oh, in the pocket as which well. Of course is, which, of course, is another matter, mortgage interest. Mm. Section 24. But anyway, we, I don't want to start going about that. But I think, um, look, hope is not a strategy, but I am, I am hopeful that it, it, will, it will sort itself out. Mm. And, um, uh, but yes, there could be a lot of pain in a lot of sectors. And I, I think the government needs to show a lot more urgency in dealing with this. I think that's the basic point. People are hurting now. People have got bills to pay now. People have got families to feed now. That's yeah. the basic. We cannot wait until June. And, and something needs to happen very, very quickly here. So yeah. that, that's where we are with things there. Let's yeah. talk a little bit now about, because uh, we come towards the end of this discussion, uh, about, a bit about non-league football. And, ah, yes. <laughs> You're a big Margate fan. Uh, yes. I, my, my links to uh, Worthing Football Club are well known. Uh, yeah. And they, they, of course, top at top of the Isthmian League at the moment. The FA's decision to null and void the league, I think, is absolutely outrageous. And we're talking everything below National League level, aren't we? Yes. Um, I don't, I, okay, I'm trying to think how far this pyramid goes down. But yes, I mean, uh, Margate and Worthing are in step, uh, step three of the non-league. Hmm. So, but five and six uh, were postponed. I believe there are, uh, there are, I think there are leagues seven and eight beyond that, or step seven and eight. Mm. I'll have to double check. But the point is, yes, all senior football, as, as you and I know, is, but now I can I understand their decision and it may be, you know, let's get these guys out of the way and we can start worrying about the, the more important stuff. Mm. I think a lot of it is going to do with money and players' contracts. And I think, you know, when you get into the National League, um, uh, there are issues there, but I think again, I, we would all prefer to see that the leagues be suspended. Now, in Belgium, they've done something different. Um, they may not have the, 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 the number of clubs, but I think it's it's. I think it's going to cause a lot of a lot of problems. Now, I don't know what's happening in Scotland or the. I don't know what, what's happening with the League of Wales. Have they got their own? Uh, they're they're indefinitely suspended now for the whole of April. I don't think an announcement has come through. I may be yeah. wrong about that. Something may have happened in the last few days yeah. that I missed. But I, I yeah. don't. I, I think realistically, they haven't. I don't think there's been an FA style announcement like there has been in England. But the problem you've got here, the problem the problem you've got here is that okay. 
there's a there's not an, there's not an easy, a fair way of doing it unless everyone's played each other twice home and away because you, your fixture list might be kinder than another club's fixture list. You might have the easier games first, the tougher games later, mm. or the vice versa. So everyone has to have played everyone else twice to make it fair, mm. so to speak. But by yeah. the same token, I think it would be better all around that they say, look, we suspend the league. We, none of us have got a clue when they'll be able to restart. Mm-hmm. What we'll do is we'll suspend a league, or we'll take stock of the situation as it stands when mm-hmm. life returns to some form of normality. Uh, now, what I think w- was particularly mm-hmm. appalling about this, obviously, the Worthing story, uh, and they're top of the league, and, and they, they were on the verge yes, of promotion. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful story, the rise, what George yeah. Dowell has achieved with that football club over the course of the last few years. And, but there's frustrations in, in all sectors, in all parts of the country, teams on the verge of promotion, everything else. Uh, and, you know, there's, a, there's quite a dark side to this in that people were speculating on social media saying, ah, uh, yeah, but in the league above us, one or two clubs might go bankrupt anyway, which may lead to an automatic promotion. Whoa, that, would be a, that, would, that would be a hollow promotion. That's not something to celebrate. I don't think that happens. I think it's, 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 uh, it's, normally, it's normally the other way around. I mean, Margate were, was saved twice. Hmm. Uh, from going down to, uh, I mean, we're actually as we are, we are as low now as we've ever been. Um, if you look at look at the history of the club, but the point is, um, I think clubs, some clubs, will go to the wall mm. I, I, if this goes on for much longer, because mm. I, you don't have the money, and unless you've got a very good benefactor, uh, like the guy you mentioned at Worthing, I mean, it's you know, there comes a point where he thinks, well, I put all this money in. I mean, how much more? No one's going to put more money in, not not knowing where the when things are going to end. I don't know, what, and I can't see the I can't see the government doing anything. I really yeah, can't. I mean, um, for those clubs. who don't know, and I'm guessing most people listening won't know this, the story of Worthing was the uh, the club's mm-hmm. owner George Dowell. Uh, he played for the club up until about who ten years ago, and then. Uh, about, a year, about nine years ago, I think it was rather, he was very badly injured in a car accident and was left paralyzed from the chest down. And his compensation payments he used, he, first of all, he set up a separate football club uh, and that was a very temporary thing. And then he actually bought Worthing and he started running it in a business-like way. Now, that, that the success, this has turned this into a movie because obviously they're top of the league. They were due to get promotion around about now. Um, they would have to have seriously messed up their last few games to, uh, to not get promotion over top of the league, as you know, the Isthmian League. But in his case, um, they could turn that story into a movie quite easily. Mm. But the, the, to, to, to null and void the season, the fans have been robbed. He has been robbed. He, he's not as if he's got this endless um, big, big pot of money he can, he can dip into. He has spent mm. his money on that, and he was yeah. getting a good return. Now, he's, he's put day-to-day running of the club in the hands of others now. Um, but it, it's just a case that there were so many... Oh, yeah, that's a particularly big story if you like but in in leagues all across the pyramids and in the different English regions and beyond England as well in the other nations of the UK there are similar situations going on and the FA the thing is the way they've done this oh we'll do the lower the lower end of the tier first and we will talk about the the higher end later on to me that was crass as well because they know at the FA that um, well certainly Liverpool Manchester City but even clubs at championship level league one league two and, and beyond that, okay, that's a matter for the EFL, technically, I know, but there you go. They know that if they start making decisions like that, they can get very good lawyers, hotshot lawyers in thousands of pounds every day, uh, and they can challenge these things in the courts. At the non-league level, they simply haven't got that sort of money. Yeah, we did it once at Margate. <laughs> yeah. uh, we challenged someone about the, the ground grading. and Anyway, that was uh, we won that one, but... Uh, 
I can talk about Newport County in a minute. Um, but yes, it's I, 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 quite honest. The way I feel at the moment about uh, Margate, or I mean, I'm local here to Wingate and Finchley. Um, Hendon's not too far away. Uh, obviously, Barnet and mm. Enfield and these sorts of clubs. I mean, they're all. I mean, it's it's, it's tricky. Mm. It's really tricky, and I, I I think that I don't know. Perhaps it's a good thing. Perhaps it will just you know. Perhaps it's like a war situation, and clubs just fold, and we'll just have to start again, and 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 uh, society will just have it. We'll just take a, take a huge knock, and football really isn't isn't a priority. I think that the truth um, of it is, Jeremy, yeah, is because none of us none of us knows how long it's going to be before we're out of this, and and realistically, bare minimum, we're looking at several months. And as you say, if if there's going to be second, third waves of this, we could be in it for considerably longer. And I I, I just think we, we, because we actually, as we've already discussed in this podcast, we know so little about how the virus works. We've just got to play this thing out for as long as it takes uh, and take stock of the situation later on. Uh, Obviously, there will be issues. Uh, Let's say, for example, I know this is perhaps a little bit optimistic, but let's say we could could in theory start the league again in late summer. There are certain players who'd be kicking off. I'm out of contract now. I was due to go here, there and everywhere. I've made plans. Yeah. Or or (laughs) at non-league level, at semi-professional level, they've made plans for their lives beyond this summer. So, for example, if you were planning on moving to another part of the country for a a good personal reason or a work reason or a business reason, that is also up in the air. So there's all sorts of permutations, difficult situations with this. But I think what the FA has done, it was crass, it was insensitive. And there's a petition going round, I know, and I have actually signed it. Do think again about this. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen it. If you could send it to me, I'll be, I'd appreciate oh, it. Oh, I'd be delighted to do that, yes. No, I no. think it's still open, that petition. No, it's due to close the next day. Yeah, yes, yeah. But can I ask you a question? You, you were born and bred in Cardiff? Yes, I was, yeah. Okay. So I understand you being involved, obviously getting involved with Cardiff City. But again, where are your biggest, where, where are the biggest non-league clubs around Cardiff? This is my, my, my lack of geographic yeah. knowledge. The situation in here is is that in 1992, I think it was, um, mm. until that point, the non-league clubs played in the, the English regional pyramid system. Mm. And then the Football Association of Wales chairman at the time, a guy called uh, Alan Evans, mm. used to call himself Secretary General. It's, the title is now mm. Chief Executive. In those days, it was mm. Secretary General. Mm. He feared that FIFA would take away Wales' state. This is an independent country and mm. forced all of us into a sort of uh, United mm. Kingdom type team or Great Britain type team. And he thought the way to alleviate that was to create a League of Wales. And he demanded, and he he ruled with an iron fist in in this in many Mm. ways. He said, uh, if you're outside of the professional ranks, you have to join the League of Wales. Mm. Now that annoyed people, uh, the clubs for two reasons. Uh, There was what we had, the I-rate eight, the eight non-league clubs in Wales that really didn't want to join the League of Wales Mm. system for two reasons. Mm. One is that um, in terms of geography, Wales is an east-west country. The area around Newport, Cardiff and the valleys has economic links really with um, the west of England, the area around Gloucester and Worcester and places like that where you can travel to within about an hour as opposed to North Wales because the, the, the terrain of Wales is there's not good transport links between North and South Wales. You have to go via Birmingham and up the roads through that way to get to North Wales. So in, in terms of like, like a non-league club like Merthyr Tidfield, for example, as it was then, now called Merthyr Town, Mm-hmm. Travelling to Gloucester might take an hour, an hour and a half on a coach. Travelling to North Wales is four or five hours on a coach. Play your match. You might have to stay in a hotel overnight or travel all the way down and be absolutely knackered. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now you do that 18, 19 times a season for a non-league club, that is a considerable expense. The other reason for not wanting to join the League of Wales is if you've got any ambitions whatsoever of ever making it as a professional club in the English pyramid, well, you're going to be shut out of it forever. Okay, the winners of the League of Wales get a place in the Champions League qualifiers, uh, second and third get in what we now call the Europa League. But if you ever had ambitions of making it in the English pyramid, you had no chance. Now, one of the irate eight was what was called uh, Newport AFC. The original Newport County went bust in the end of the 1980s. They played at Somerton Park. The fans pulled together, as very often happens when a club goes out of business. They reformed the club again from scratch. And they said, eventually, we will get ourselves back into the Football League, as was now called the EFL. And then the Alan Evans situation happened in 92-93. And Newport were one of the irate eight. And they were effectively shut out of playing matches in Wales. They had to play their matches in Worcester for a period. Alan Evans became a hate figure at, uh, at, at, for Newport County fans. There was a big court case. Um, and, and the irate eight gradually drifted down. There were eight to begin with. Uh, within about two or three seasons of the League of Wales being formed, one by one, most of them joined the English Pyramid, uh, sorry, the, the League of Wales. Mm. The ones that stayed in the English Pyramid were uh, Merthyr Tydfil, Newport mm. County, Colwyn Bay up in North Wales. Mm. Um, I think that was about it. I think we were down mm. to three in the end. Now, Newport mm. actually won their court case. Mm. And they were, that, that meant they, had to, they could play their matches in Wales again on Welsh turf. Mm. And, and they went to the, uh, the Newport Athletic Stadium because they're all... Yeah. Well, I, remember, I remember going there on, on two occasions, yeah. And by which time their old ground, Somerton Park, had been turned into a housing estate. They played at the, uh, the athletic stadium for, for a number of years. They made their way up the pyramid into what we ended up calling the conference, now called National League. And then eventually that story has a happy ending. Uh, they, mm. they ended up back in the, uh, the EFL, as we now call it, the Football League. And they actually renamed themselves Newport County. So they reverted mm. to their old, old name. They now play at Rodney Parade Rugby Ground. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's a particular story. And of course, they had that good FA Cup run uh, a couple of years ago. Yes. Yeah. Their matches were on, on national television. And we all know about that. Uh, I think mm. it was, they played Leicester City and they won that mm. game. And then they played Manchester City. And, and both those matches were televised. They ended up losing to Man City, didn't they? Um, but so the, the reason being, uh, you can see why those clubs, they didn't want to join the League of Wales, but they felt if you couldn't afford the court case that Newport mm. County did, Newport AFC, as it was at the time they did, you could see you could be strong-armed into joining the League of Wales. In the 1990s, Barry Town, who were one of the irate eight originally, became yeah. a dominant team in the League of Wales, and that led to some interesting uh, European nights at Jenner Park in that period. Uh, mm-hmm. Then it, into the early 2000s, John Fashnew bought the club, and um, <laughs> then they ended up in bad hands after that, went out mm-hmm. of business, and there's a YouTube documentary about how the club reformed yeah. Uh, they're now back in I'll the have country. to check that out <laughs> oh it's it's a good one yeah they, they yeah. ended up they ended up taking the FAW to court themselves about being allowed back into the Welsh pyramid system below yeah. um, what we now call the Cymru Premier which is what the yeah. League of Wales has rebranded yeah. um, uh, and they were eventually allowed back in but in terms of, of non-league um, Merthyr Tydfil went bust reformed as Merthyr Town they still play at mm. Penny Darren Park that's certainly the only South Wales team still playing in the English non-league pyramid system. I remember Bridge End quite well, but um... yeah, Bridge, End, Bridge End ended up in, in the they ended up in the Welsh pyramid. They 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 mm. ended up. I think they may have been one of the irate eight to begin with. Uh, in fact, my old history teacher at school was a big Bridge End Town fan. Um, yeah. They went bust. They've reformed as uh, Penna Bond, which is just the Welsh word for Bridge End. It, it's it's the mm. same thing, really. Yeah. 
Um, they, they're in, I think, the third tier now in the Welsh pyramid system. But the, yeah, the, and in the end, Alan Evans died about ooh, eight, nine years ago, and he gave an interview not long before he died. And he had actually gone to see when Newport County were back in the uh, professional status. He, he went to a few matches at Rodney Parade Stadium. And um, he said, actually, I never wanted to annoy the club. I never wanted to annoy the fans. That's not what it was about. He really did feel that if he didn't get this League of Wales thing set up, FIFA was seriously considering stripping Wales of its national status. And well, he, he, might have had a, he, may, he might have had a point, but mm. uh, mm. I, can, I can understand FIFA's point of view. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but he, he was just saying towards the end of his life, he wanted to build those bridges with Newport County fans and the yeah. club. And he went to a few matches when he was getting old and he may have known he didn't have long to go. Yeah. Uh, and he built those bridges to, as best he mm. could. As you say, mm. he, didn't, he didn't want to annoy anybody, but he felt he had to do it. And obviously, you, you've, been, you've been following non-league football for many years. You, you've got memories of the Welsh clubs then. Yes, I mean, I, yeah, I, I say I, there was a couple, I mean, most recently... Um, there was the the, the, the the game at Hartstown Park where Margate drew with Newport County nil nil mm. to win the Southern League, mm. and uh, I was um, I was on call the with, with the I, I think it was the Daily Telegraph or no, it was the Times actually. Mm. Anyway, and, and you phoned them up, and that was the first time Margate had won the Southern League since 1936. Wow! And I'm sitting there, and you know, two and a half thousand people in there, nice big crowd from Margate, and yet you know. Uh, you drive away, and you, you know, there's no, no excitement, you know. And so, sometimes I think we we, we get we get. Um, uh, I think a lot of towns. I think you know, you may have like ninety five percent of the population indifferent, you know. Mm. You know, zero point five percent of the town's population hate them, and then you got about four percent armchair supporters and so on. And it's and if you look at the, the, the crowds of this is another great tragedy as well uh, with non league. The, the, the attendances are appalling, really. Mm, uh, yeah. down the country but the, the two specific games with Newport so I, I remember the old Newport losing to Barnet in the FA Cup like about 6-0 or something mm. uh, when, when, when Barnet in the Southern League and so on but um, so more recently were the two away games um, I went to Newport I drove and it was tipping down mm. and it was tipping down Welcome to Wales yes Welcome to Wales you go across the bridge anyway you got, I got to the ground and you get out, and it rained, and the ref just called the match off mm. after about 15 minutes. And of course, as soon as you know, five minutes after the players left, the rain stopped, and it was fine. So I interviewed, I interviewed the manager on, on the, I interviewed the manager at Newport Railway Station. So mm. that was a waste of a day. And then either the time before or the time after, I forget now, uh, Margate turned up with the wrong colour shirts, mm. and so we had to play in Newport County's away kit. Yeah, um, we had an away, and uh, we had a we were robbed of an away win there with some mm. wrong decisions. So, my, my my adventures in the Wales weren't very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you, you've never experienced Jenna Park in Barry, then, have you? No, I never. No, 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 no not as much as that, unfortunately. But it sounds an interesting place to go. Perhaps I should do that in my dotage. You know, oh, Hereford. It's, 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 yeah. I, I, know, I, know, I know those guys at Hereford who are like sort of you know de facto Welsh people. With, uh, yeah, Edgar Street. Been, Hereford, there, yeah. been there. I've been there a couple of times, and uh, another. Th all right, they, they've reformed and everything now, but there is just so many clubs that have fallen by the wayside or mm. have had difficulties. And 
And, you know, and this all started with colour television and football on TV. And you, you can trace it back to that. Well, I, I'm a relative newcomer to, to football at semi-professional level. I, I got into it and, well, I, I followed it for years, but I only started attending, attending matches mm. when I started going to Barry Town towards the end of last year. How far is Barry from Cardiff? Or? Oh, seven, eight miles from where I am right now. I so that's your nearest non-league club then? Or, or, or? Uh, no, technically it'd be Cardiff Met, which is um, yeah. the, the, form, the club formerly known as Inter Cardiff, which reformed. Ah, yes. Is, is, is now effectively a university club at Cardiff Met University. That's probably yeah. my nearest in geographic terms. That's on the opposite yeah. side of Cardiff to where I am now in the, yeah. the yeah. King Coyd area. Um, there's there's a, a Jewish community in King Coyd, actually. It's, it's the, the Cardiff Jewish yeah. community. They've got, yeah. uh, yeah. they got a, a, a university campus there, and that's where Cardiff Met play their matches, mm. apart from mm. their European matches, which was played at the Cardiff Athletic Stadium because they got into the Europa League this season. Yeah. Um, but no, Barrytown is what, uh, seven, eight miles away. It's what, 15 minute journey on a train, if that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just take that walk from the railway station up to Jenner Park, which is actually a community facility, a community athletics ground. And mm-hmm. they recently put this, um, what they call it, 3G pitches? The, 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 the thing yeah. That, what do you think of those? Well, I don't mm-hmm. like them at all. And I, I know the players don't like them because what, what's happened there is that... Um, the council who owned the facility said, we've got to save a bit of money in terms of running costs. And they mm. said, this 3G pitch will save us X amount of money over five years. The first thing that that meant mm. is that, well, point one, the, there was a, a nine-lane athletics track around the outside. Mm. With the 3G pitch being laid, that's reduced it to seven lanes. So the athletics track is now smaller, although from a fan's point of view, you're that little bit nearer to the pitch than you were before, which is something... Yeah. Do you still need binoculars, though? You know? uh, kind of. It is, a, it is a little bit like that, I've got to be honest. Um, yeah, go on. And, and then yeah. the, trouble, yeah. the trouble with the 3G pitch is um, it, it, the bounce is absolutely awful uh, mm. when that happens. But it, there are, actually, it could be worse. It could be rugby. Now, Sardis Road, Pontypridd Rugby Ground, mm. they put a 3G pitch there. And that is actually very dangerous because you, you oh. burn yourself oh. quite easily. And there's been some very, very nasty injuries. Of, yeah. of people burning themselves, you know, there's an actual slide in rugby when you, you fall on the ground, yeah. score a try, what have you. That was actually dangerous. But in three G pitch, they sh- in, in rugby it should be banned. In football, it's a nuisance because the bounce mm. is just so damn weird a lot of the time. And you've got to replace it after five or six years anyway. Um, mm. But we had we had it in Margate t- two years ago. Mm. Yes, we, we some some matches were saved, I suppose. Um, mm. But I don't get down there very often. I'm, I'm more of an away. We, we are, I'm the, you know, I'm the London branch, really. You know, yeah. A few others. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, but it's, it is still good fun mm. going to. Um, well, hopefully we, you can come up to London one time. I mean, I just hope that everything's okay again. I mean, we're, we're, this year I've been to, you know, in, well, I've been to Enfield yet. I don't know mm. as I will. But you know, Chesant, not very far away. Uh, mm. Wingate and French is around the corner. Um, Hornchurch isn't too far away. They've got a very interesting ground. They've got an athletics pitch uh, track around their ground. Um, yes, yes, something about 3G pitches is that uh, yeah, at Worthing about ooh, a month and a half ago. Ah, yes, they had a there, problem, didn't they? Last there was year. an. Inc- I, I was listening because my friend was commentating. Uh, James Easton, who works with us, he was commentating yeah. on that game. He and I mm. podcast together quite often. Uh, just the match had ended, and mm. some idiot set off a flare that uh, went on the 3G pitch and effectively burnt a hole in it. Uh, and as James said, on, James said on commentary at the time, do you realise how much that's actually going to cost to repair? And, you know, in a non-league club, you need every penny you can get. Uh, yeah, and it's yeah. just people being stupid. So something like that, whereas grass would just regrow naturally over time. Yeah. 
that is actually yeah. a job that needs yeah. to be put right. And it's just, it's just horrendous that anyone would do that. But that's, that is one of the flaws of, of 3G Pidget. Yes. Yeah, and, 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 and the injuries as well. Um, but uh, look, it's the same for both sides. But yeah, I mean, years ago, Margaret had a great pitch. Of course, it was all chalk. Hmm. All right, it was a, it was a very very bad um, bit like Barnet. It was a, it was a very, not as bad as Yeovil's old ground, but hmm. there was a there was a dip, and hmm. then eventually that uh, the, the first layer of chalk was was removed, and of course then you started to have problems. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I have anyway. to say, uh, oh yes, games have been saved. In fact, the yeah. very first Barrytown match I went to, in fact, with James when he was down here in what November of last year, he, he was he was the guy who got me into Barrytown. He said because yeah. he's got into supporting Worthing. He said, oh, let's see what the the Welsh league is like, the Cymru Premier. We went to yeah. Barrytown on a Friday night. Yes, in all honesty, that match was probably saved because it was tipping down with rain that night. Yeah. It was probably saved by a three G pitch. I could think of nothing better to go to Barrytown on a Friday night in January. I just you know. Oh, it, it was it was it was great. The the rain was lashing and and you'd have to pay me an awful lot of money to go. To oh, you 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 you'd love it because the thing is. There was a crowd of what a few hundred of us at least. Yeah, um, yeah. You got a, a band at the back who were playing their instruments all the way through, making an absolute racket. Then you go yeah. in the bar, and even though you don't know anyone, everyone wants to yeah, talk to you. It's really very good. And, yeah, and you get yeah. this sense that I suspect it's the same with all clubs at semi professional level. There's yeah. an army of volunteers who all do their bit in their sure. own little way to keep sure. the whole thing going, and you get it the length and breadth of the country. And, and mm -hmm. I, I just felt a sense of community. And I've been back, what, three or four times at least since then. Um, yeah. And obviously, I've had my differences with Cardiff City Football Club in recent years. And it's, there's an authenticity about it. There's a community feeling. And even if, if you hang around long enough for, for half an hour, three quarters an hour in the, in the club bar after the game, the players come in and they'll have a chat with you. Yes, it's good, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I've, been, I've been used to that for years now. And that's what you do. And you can speak mm -hmm. to the manager. And, you know, when I was doing the radio for BBC Kent and everything, Hmm. And you know you, you, you get you get a you get a double whammy. You know you get, you get to do your job, yeah. and you meet all the guys. And um, hmm. no, I, I enjoyed Margate's three or four years in the conference. Um, hmm. uh, but anyway, I just hope all these things will end up as being one big horrible memory. It's it's a. It, God, it, knows, God knows does, what's going to happen. It does feel as though we're going to be stuck with this for the foreseeable future. I'm yeah. I, I don't think yeah. there's going to be any easy or immediate way out. I think I, I do think that, that one long-term aspect of this is that because so many people are now working from home, yeah. and if, if it turns out this possible, it may be that companies increasingly and businesses up and down the country decide that we actually need all this office space, or could yeah. we have an arrangement where our workers work from home, say, four days a week, come in one day yeah. a week, I think a lot of businesses, if, if this is seen to be working, uh, okay, even something like the, the fact that we can record this podcast now uh, yeah. with, with not in exactly professional equipment, but with, with, this will sound good enough. Mm. A lot of radio stations, for example, will be saying, can their presenters do their shows from home? Because I, I know a number of radio presenters that are doing exactly that right now for their own mm. safety, because it's not safe for them to go into work. Yeah. Um, will they need so many radio studios and stuff? And, and I, I think a lot, in a lot of sectors, people will be asking, do we actually need to bring our staff into work every day in future if this working from home experiment yeah. continues? I wonder how long, I wonder how, how it's going to affect football and other mm. sports. Perhaps it won't, I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps if people connect more with their local teams, if they, if, you know, you know and perhaps, it's, perhaps it'll be a good thing, I don't know. Well, I, I think, uh, going back to the, the point I was making a few moments ago about the FA, I think the most sensible thing is 
yes, it's going to be very tough indeed. Let's take stock of where we are when we're seeing signs of getting out of this, because I think that's going to be some way off, and then we can have a sensible plan of action the other time. But I do think, yeah. I think the FA's announcement about the lower end of the pyramid it was crass, it was insensitive, and it was, but it was, it was actually insulting to clubs who have achieved great things this season. And so, that, yeah, that I mean, look at Bar- look at those guys across the water in uh, Jersey mm-hmm. and Barrow as well. I mean, yeah. uh, who else? I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's a there are more examples. Oh, there there are um, up and down the country across the pyramid system. That, you know, I'm tough. rather hoping Wingate and Finchley don't get relegated. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I wish they probably could do, but I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. But I mean, I, it's um, mm. it really is. I mean, I know the the chairman at Hendon, and uh, you know, he's just he's a worried man. Yeah, as as many of us are at the moment. So to conclude yeah. this podcast, not the mystic note. Um, you're, yes. you've got many many. Well, you've done many, many things with your life, football commentator, yeah. conference host. This sales venture you've got going at the moment. Tell, tell us about that. Give yourself a plug. Yeah, okay. No, I mean, I think a lot of people in sales, um, selling has changed. I mean, excuse me, I must... He's a busy reason. man, folks. He's a, really he's, a, he's, a, he's a busy man. Yeah. He's in um, Okay, all right. No worries. Um... It's uh, it's like any other sort of form of consultancy. Individuals and companies, you know, sometimes lack confidence because just you know, either lack the will to do things. Uh, years ago, when I first started out, companies had sales forces and and and, and there were there was proper training. And I think the first thing that went with the downsizing of companies in the nineteen nineties was was um, was training. And I don't mean just just for sales companies. I'm talking about for any sort of training, you know, particularly in retail. And I think there's a lot of people out there who don't know how to sell, and whether that's whether that's in the high street or um, over the phone, or whether it's business to business, you know. Mm. Excuse me, I may may have to take this. Everyone wants to speak to you today. They do indeed. Can we can we can we just hold recording just for a moment? Absolutely, we can. Um, Yes, I was saying, and people. and I think there's been an explosion in, in, in self-employment. So a lot of people who have been in business and now set themselves up as coaches and facilitators and, and so on. I mean, I use the word sales mentor because I think if you're, work, if you're a mentor, you're someone who's there over a period of time, whereas a coach or a, or a, or a trainer is there for a short period of time. My particular take is this. There are two things to it. Selling has changed. People's uh, over the last few years. A, because of the internet, people's expectations are different. And we've also learned more about how people think mm. and how their brains work. Uh, so there's an element of psychology and, and, and brain science coming into this. And, uh, you know, you, you, you just have to be so good nowadays mm. to sell and to be successful in business. So how you communicate is going to be successful. How you, your product has to be successful. Your pricing has to be right. Your offering has to be right. And all these things go into the mix. And success in business, Marcus, is all about getting um, lots and lots of little things right. Mm. And um, so it's, it's, I say, you know, you, you've got to get everything right. It's, it's a huge, can be a huge expense depending on the sector you're in. But aim, aim for excellent and, and be excellent as much as you possibly can. And whether that's in radio broadcasting or, 
being a sales mentor or yeah, football you, club you chairman. Have to, have you to ask, ask yourself every day and every week, what, we, what am I going to do better today, better than I yeah. did yesterday? And ask that. My own experience yeah. Yeah. of, of sales have been largely negative. I was only involved in it in quite a short time. Um, there, there was this awful, frankly, door-to-door sales firm of working on commission. Um, and I know there's, there's, there's uh, branches of these up and down the country, or certainly were at the time when I was involved mm. in the summer of 2006, trying to make a few quid when I was not mm. long out of university. Mm. And um, it, it was just hor- horrendous. You'd, you'd be given a product to sell. In fact, I was only there a matter of days, and I turned out most people were only there a matter of days. And you were just what product, not- what product was it? Uh, for us, we were trying to get people to join a well-known broadband company. And we had to... Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That, that was it for us. Uh, another day, you might be trying to sell them satellite television. Another day, you'd have big box of knives and forks and what have you and have to try and sell them cutlery. But when I was there, it was, um, it, it was a well-known broadband uh, firm. Yeah. We had to knock on people's doors. And there was, a, there was a very odd thing because if they were over 70, you weren't even allowed to even try and sell it to them. So you'd knock on their door. And I just remember there was this old dear, and I could tell she was mentally still very alert. There was nothing wrong with her. She was just old. And uh, my colleague actually did the talk, and he said, hello, we're just checking to make sure everything's all right with the phone. Everything all right with the phone? Is it, love? Is it okay? I thought, this just sounds like the most dodgy conversation ever. You've knocked on her door after everything's all right with the phone. She's probably wondering if someone's gone around the back door and is breaking into her house right now. Because it, it did sound a bit like that. But I just remember, this was a really, the reason I'm telling you this story now is because mm. the standard script when we were knocking on doors, we did one day in Cardiff, one day in the Welsh Valleys, and then I quit. Mm. Uh, that was it, yeah. And um, you, you'd knock on doors, and it was so scripted and so staid, yeah. and we were told not to deviate from this script. Well, it was very sort of not me, the script, anyway. I'd rather work out what sort of person I'm speaking to and adjust myself accordingly. But we were told yeah. to stick to this, this script. Yeah. And it just sounded a little bit too sort of not very authentic, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. You see, I mean, that is the, the worst excesses of what, what I was talking about. I mean, when I, I started with a very well-known office equipment organization, um, you know, multi-million pound international company. Mm. But, you know, you're selling fax machines and office copiers and this sort of stuff. And, but it was, all, it was always product-led. You're always, there, you're always trying to sort of shoehorn your way in. And there's nothing wrong with being a disruptor. And there's some good business was done. And I think it was very, very good. But as time has gone on, people have become inured to sales tactics because mm. people are smart and people are clever. Mm. And, people are, and you can't treat people in the same way. So nowadays it's about understanding. You've got to be more of a psychologist and more of an educator nowadays. Mm. And uh, the best salespeople always have been that sort of way. They just understand what people want, when they want them, and how they want them. And you have to use a bit of psychology. The, the, a, lot of, a lot of my thinking comes from the world of behavioral economics. And, uh, and this is how, on a more transactional basis, if you look at how Amazon and how their website works, they know how people's minds work and how their brains work. And, in a way, you could say they're being manipulated, but it, it works okay online. But when, it, when it's a business-to-business arrangement and it's face-to-face, you really have to be on your metal and know your stuff. And particularly mm. at the moment, I'm not saying selling is out the window, but you have to, you have to be aware. You have to be uh, very supportive, very sympathetic, very empathetic to mm. people's needs. Mm. And, 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 and from my point of view, help them through the morass of, 
problems they're facing at the moment so they can come out the other side look well here's my sales plan this is what i'm going to say to my clients and and and, and, and try and do that and as i said at the get top of the show you know just be be as helpful as you possibly can yeah because i i think and, uh, back to that experience that very brief experience i had in the summer oh, of 2006 yeah, and yeah. that was just um commission only hard sell a lot of very young people working there uh, it was it was quite and I could tell it was a nasty working environment and what it was I think it was on day three I just woke up and I looked at the cricket score it, it was um, I can't remember England against I think it was Pakistan they were playing that summer summer 2006 I looked at the scorecard before I went to bed and I thought it's going to be a good final day I woke up and I thought you know what because I was it was just so hard to make any money in that place anyway and it was such a nasty environment and it was a cult like environment I thought I'd rather watch the cricket today. I'm not yeah, going to make much money anyway. And oh, that's good for, uh, what I did. Good, good for you. I mean, it, look, it, 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 it didn't fit your values. Mm. Sometimes those environments were quite good as, as a learning. And I, I, I learned a tremendous lot <coughs> the first 10 years or so. Mm. But, but there were some, you know, some good professional guys around at the time too. Mm. So uh, look, you live and learn. And, yeah, um, the, now, the, so was, I've now put all that together. So, mm. you know. Yeah, this, this was a very much, and in fact, there was a documentary, and this was the dying days of ITV regional television. ITV only really mm. do um, regional news now, except in Wales, where there's yeah. still a bit of regional programming. <laughs> yeah. ITV West, that about a month after I left, did a, 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 a hidden camera documentary, mm. their equivalent branch in Bristol of the company I was working for in Cardiff. Yeah. sales and they sent one of their staff into there and it was exactly the same there, there was a sort of a pyramid system where the boss they answered to um, a larger group of <coughs> and then yeah. the boss would employ lots of mainly very young staff knowing full well most of them would quit within a matter of days mm-hmm. um, and there, there was actually I read, I read a blog article um, about mm-hmm. this fella and he got manipulated by this firm and he was um, it, it, it turned out that he was being paid something like um, three quid an hour if you if you aggregated it out because it was that hard to make money there yeah. and it, it was affecting his relationship with his girlfriend and because um, because he wasn't arriving home until eight nine ten at night because you didn't start till late mornings and that period when people were coming home for their tea that yeah. was effectively your, your, your key yeah. period door-to-door sales and he, so he, he was coming home uh, late night and it, this was and he was coming home from work and, and he'd tell his girlfriend, oh, I've had a great day today. And it was all this sort of, you get all these high powered pep talks at the start, the end of the day from the boss in the office. And it, it was, it was very cult like in that sense. Yeah. And um, she, she was saying, look, can't you see through this? You're saying what a great bunch of guys it is you're working with. You're making hardly any money and neither is anybody else. You're being manipulated. And in the end, the, 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 girl, the girlfriend's father said, look, we actually like your boyfriend. We, he, he's been good for you. And he spoke to this bloke, and he, he was about 20, 21 years of age. He said, look, you work out how many hours you've worked for this company over the course of the last few months. I will give you the minimum wage, which is about £5 an hour at the time, for every one of those um, hours you work for that company. You said you were saving up for an Xbox. I'll buy you an Xbox. I'll even buy you a few games. But for crying out loud, for my daughter's sake and for the sake of your own sanity, please leave that company. They are manipulating you. They are using you. And, uh, and, and he, to start with, he said, no, no, I'm going to keep working for them. And, and this was, you know, his girlfriend's father made him a damn good offer there. Um, but he kept working for them. And then about a month later, he's finally accepted the offer and he realized what happened. And he was embarrassed by the fact that he was sucked in by it. Now, most people don't get sucked in by it. They, they were gone within a matter of days. But that is the worst excesses of sales. Yeah, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what, I, you know, what have I done over the years? There was one period, oh, I must, oh, my God, oh my God knows. I don't know why I did it. A friend of mine, I mean, I was, uh, 
it was selling they don't do it anymore but I, it was actually quite good because i did pay you profit money hmm. um it's selling accountancy courses yeah door to door to door hmm. uh face to face and um you know the guys who really worked at it made the money and in, in some respects that's hmm. what you want hmm. but that's what everybody should be doing hmm. well, those of us who want to you know, do well in sales you, know, you have to work there's no there is no substitute for for hard work marcus and well, you know, that, this uh, is true. i've just... got nothing against incentivizing people to do well and encouraging people to do well and giving them the necessary training to go up a level and mm. when you reach this level you get a reward and so forth mm. but there are people uh, certainly in that era 2006 and, and that itv west documentary backed up at this point and, and the various blog articles i read like the story i just told you yeah there is there was a very crass end of things at that time i don't know if it's still about to the same extent mm. but the very crude end of door-to-door -door sales and a lot of people were being manipulated at that point and that that really is the low end of things if you like i'm yeah. not, not saying the whole industry is like that it's not i also think chuggers need to be a bit more careful with, with some oh of yes yeah you get it and it'll be it's it's it's, it's, it's the same in cardiff oh, yeah, yeah. they, they come up to you in this very sort of over familiar way and that, mm. that that's but and this that one came up to me about a year ago and i was actually i was mm. i was walking quickly because i had to be somewhere and he said mm. central card hi you look like a nice friendly fellow now most people who meet me would probably think that and i just said mm. no i'm not get lost because mm. you know yeah. you, that's not the way to start a conversation with somebody no. you've never seen before in your life good. and you know you know you start with i i know good morning if you've got a spare moment or words to that effect you don't you don't start like that you've got this sort of over, yeah. over familiarity i'm also aware that you know if i the, particularly the ones who are trying to get me to sign up for a monthly charity donation the first thought that gets in my head if you're from i don't know this homeless charity or whatever what sort of cut are they getting and what's in it for them why don't exactly. i exactly well it's yeah. all charities all charities you know and uh it's <laughs> it's um oh it's 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 horrendous really isn't it well yeah it, 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 there was one bloke in baker street he actually blocked my path mm. i said you've got five seconds to get out of the way mm. yeah otherwise i call the police mm. <laughs> it, it can be it can be like that i don't think it's quite yeah. that intense in cardiff no no, no. of course back at the of course back at the I mean going back years and years it was a double glazing sales and had bad reputation mm. uh, estate agents I mean, you know, I mean, again, when I first started, it was the Bermuda Triangle of dodgy people, mm. photocopier salesmen, double glazing, and members of parliament. I'm oh, sorry, any yeah. state agents, to be yeah. you know, delete or whatever. But unfair, really. But mm. no, look, some guys are very good and very professional and uh, and do well. So, uh, you know. in conclusion, then, when can we learn? Where can we learn more about you and what you're? Oh up to yes, website? you can. You, okay, you can go to. Um, www.thesalesrainmaker.co.uk Say that again. Uh, the Sales Rainmaker. That's all yeah. one word. .co.uk Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Jeremy, you've been an absolutely fantastic Thank guest. Thank you. It's been good yeah. to chat with you. And hopefully we'll hear you again on the Talk Podcast platform before too much That's longer. lovely. All right. Thanks, Marcus. My thanks to Jeremy and my thanks to you for listening. And don't forget, if you're looking for something interesting to listen to at the moment, there's a wide range of podcasts on all sorts of topics on talkpodcast.com. You can also listen via iTunes and Spotify. Just do a search for Talk Podcasts and you'll find it. Do stay safe at this difficult time, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>